Now, it's time for the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast with Dean Linky. The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From advocacy, education, and networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Join the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's our veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. Hello and welcome to the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast, Episode 12. My name is Dean Linky. delighted to be with you as down the stretch we go. Every level of college soccer has now entered national tournament play, or in the case of NJCAA Division III soccer, we have already crowned champions in women's and men's play. And if you've been listening to our first 11 shows, we said we're going to do our best to talk to all of our national champion coaches, and we kick off going two for two as we start with Sean Worley, who led Richland College in Dallas to their sixth national championship on the men's side, and Bill Rich, who led SUNY Broom Community College to the NJCAA D3 title on the women's side. That's how we start today. From there, we get you caught up on the NAIA tournament for men and women, and then move into D3 soccer, including a visit with Jeff Cummings, head coach of the Thomas Moore Women's Program, still alive in the D3 tourney and from D2 Colorado School of Mines women's head coach Kevin Fickus who has the ore diggers in the D2 Sweet 16 as well. We end this week with powerhouse visits on the D1 level. First with Northwestern men's soccer coach Tim Lenahan known as the RPI doctor who breaks down the men's 48 team field. We bounce from Tim Lenahan to the men's number four seat from Louisville and their head coach Ken Lola And we wrap with the Stanford Cardinal women's coach Paul Ratcliffe, who will play Santa Clara on Friday in the NCAA Women's Tournament. So needless to say, it's another action-packed show with every level of college soccer, men and women, covered. And I said we start with two champions from the junior college ranks, and we do that after this message. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. We start off the program once again at the junior college level. Why? Because at the NJCAA Division III level, two champions have been crowned both in women's and men's. And for the first time in 12 NSCA College Soccer Podcasts, with the exception of Rob Kehoe, we have a repeat guest. And here's why. We said if you win a national championship, you got to be on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. He was a great guest a few weeks ago as they were getting ready for the NJCAA Division Three National Tournament. We know he's going to be a great guest now because he's a national champion for the sixth time at Richland College in Dallas, Texas, talking about the affable Sean Worley. Sean, another national championship. How are you feeling, my man, about winning the NJCAA Division Three Men's National Championship? I'm feeling great, Dean. This was, you know, a long time coming. As you know, previously we talked, and our last one we won was 2007. Since then, we had um, two-thirds and two runner-ups, and those are all good, but there's nothing like winning the, the, the big prize, and it was just the best. I mean, to come back here to Dallas and receive, you know, all the 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 the, the alumni, the people are happy, the parents, the kids. It's, it's been a wonderful feeling all day today, all day yesterday. It was great, and the kids just deserve everything. It was just a wonderful experience, and 
it was just, you know, time coming. Like I said, we finally won another one since 2007, so it was a great feeling. What a clinic you put on in Herkimer College, though, is you knocked off Bergen, 3-zip. You knocked off Genesee, 3-zip. Three, three you knocked off Camden County, 4-zip in the championship game. That was crazy. I mean, we didn't realize it until, until after, if that makes sense, you know, because we, you know, are always saying, hey, it's 0-0, don't let up. It's always 0-0. So we didn't really look at the score at any point during the game. And, you know, the boys, I'll give them all the credit because it was coming from them. They didn't let up. And, you know, it was funny because at the end of the game, you know, my goalie at the last game said, hey, coach, they didn't get a shot. And I'm like, really? I didn't even realize that. And, and it was always 0-0. The boy stepped up, and it came from those guys. And, and after, I realized how, how dominating it was. It was just it, – it was, it, was, it was crazy. It was just – we were on from the first touch of the ball until the last touch of the ball to the final whistle. We were on, and it was, it, it was fun. We were prepared. We were in shape. We were touching the ball nice. The the weather was agreeable with us this time. It was fun. It was a it was a wonderful experience for everyone. Well, you finished sixteen and two, but we got to clarify those two losses are not only against NJCAA Division One level talent. They're against two of the best teams you're going to find: Tyler, who we've had Steve Clements on, and then Santa Cinto South. You lost four three. 3-2, that was back September, early October. Why were those games so important to have on your schedule, Coach? Well, again, you know, we like to play the best teams. And clearly, like you said, Tyler and San Jacinto have a wonderful tradition. And Tyler has won several national championships. Right now they're undefeated as we speak, playing in their national Division One tournament. And those type of games just prepare us. I mean, if you – those are battles. We had several coaches watching those games, you know, recruiting our players. And after the game, they come up to us and go, Coach, that was probably the best, you know, junior college game we've seen in a long time. And, and we're playing on a big grass field, 120 by 75, wonderful environment, good weather, knocking around both teams, doing well. And so those type of games are fun. Obviously, we don't want to lose – we, you know, play every game to win, but after the game, we kind of learn from that where we broke down, we come back and we prepare better mentally and on the field, and those type of games were, were as you can imagine, were just crazy nuts, and, and we have always prepared our team that way, playing the best. It's not important if we're undefeated. It's not important what our record is. It's important that we play the best possible games at all times. In every game we play to win, if we lose, sure, we're, we're, we're a little bit disappointed, but we come back and we learn from that. And those games you know, taught us how to come back the next day, work hard, face you know, our, our, our weaknesses, work on them, and then don't let them come back and happen again. And that's exactly what happened when we went to the Nationals. We, we were on. We had no weaknesses, as you can see from the scores, from the beginning to the end. All right, obviously this means, and I don't have a vote, but if they don't vote you the coach of the year at the <laughs> NSCA convention, they're crazy. Assuming that happens, will you be in L.A. to pick up that hardware as well? Absolutely. I'm looking forward to going to L.A. even before this. I love you know, California. I'm a California boy at heart. Um, it's always wonderful to have the convention um, back, back west. So I was even planning on going before, looking forward to enjoying the nice weather during January and, and having a nice little, you know, mini vacation, you know, before the spring semester starts. But, 
definitely looking forward to going back to Los Angeles for the NCAA convention. Sean Worley, my first repeat coach guest, and for good reason. You win a national championship, you're going to be on this program. Sean, thanks for fulfilling that promise, and congratulations on national championship number six. Dean, thank you so much, and I appreciate everything you've done at the NCAA. These podcasts are wonderful. We get them out. People listen. We've had lots of good comments. And we're looking forward to um, hearing some more in the future. All right. I look forward to seeing you in Los Angeles. Congrats, Sean Worley. Thank you so much, Dean. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. Welcome back to the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Sean Worley already fulfilled one prophecy. That is, we're going to try to talk to every coach who wins a national championship this year at every level, men or women. So now we go NJCAA Division Three women, and their national champion for the third time under Bill Rich is SUNY Broom Community College. They get it done. And Bill Rich, keeping that promise going, joins me now. Bill, thanks for being with us. No, thanks for having me. Third NJCAA National Championship. You won it back in 2007 and 2008. You win it again this year. It's always fun, right, Bill? How proud of your team are you? Oh, my team was amazing this year. I'm so proud of them, I can't even tell you. We were at the national tournament last year and ended up in third place, and the goal was to get back and win it all this year, and they just uh, worked hard all season long to get there. So, yeah, I'm very proud of them. 20 years at SUNY Broom. Talk about what it's like being at SUNY Broom Community College. Well, I um, yeah, I don't work there. I just coach there, but uh, I've enjoyed my 20 years there. We get a lot of support from the athletic department. Uh, president of the college was at our last game, and uh, I've enjoyed it very much. I've met a lot of good people and had the uh, opportunity to coach a lot of really nice kids and good kids and good players and and so it's it's been a very positive experience for me. So talk about uh, how you ended up at SUNY Broom Community College. You've been there 20 years. Talk about your path out of college and into coaching. Well, I um, got into coaching like a lot of people do with my kids and uh, done a lot of uh, studying the game and clinics and visiting with other coaches that were good. And along the way, I think I learned quite a bit. Um, and uh, I was coaching in local high schools and the ODP program, and I just wanted to get something a little another level up on the junior college position came available, so I applied for it and got it 20 years ago. And it's, it's been a blast. All right, we're with Bill Rich, the head coach of the SUNY Broom Community College women's soccer team who just won the NJCAA Division Three title. And, Bill, one of the things you've said, uh, you've been going to the NSCA convention for quite a long time. You don't miss too many of those, do you? No, I've been a member for 25 years plus, and I think I might have missed twice uh, in all those years. It's a great educational experience. I go to do clinics and and uh, watch sessions and and try to learn. There's always something you can learn in this game. It changes constantly. Three national titles. What do you think about a repeat? You did it back-to-back in 2007, 2008. Do you have the nucleus to try to do it again? 
Well, interestingly, in 2007, we won it. In 2008, we had five players return. So we did it with only five common players in 2008. Uh, last year, we were third. And this year, we had nine players back, which is a lot for this level. And so I knew we had a real good chance. Now, next year is a different story. I've got four players coming back next year. So a lot depends on the recruiting and how that goes. All right, Bill, thanks for being with us. Congratulations on your national championship. And hopefully we'll see you in L.A. Thanks for being a part of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. The 2017 NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com. Time now to put the spotlight on NAIA soccer. Normally the NAIA's Chad Waller would be doing this, but he is out on paternity leave as we wish he and his wife all the best with the exciting news of their newborn. We'll start with NAIA women's soccer. Certainly exciting time. The 2016 NAIA women's soccer opening round Qualifiers were released on Monday. This year's opening round field includes 23 automatic qualifiers, seven at-large selections, and one host berth. Westmont, California makes its 19th all-time appearance, which leads all 2016 qualifiers. There are five teams included in the opening round field that have won a championship title. Lindsey Wilson of Kentucky's got four. Martin Methodist of Tennessee has two. Mobile, Alabama has one. Spring Arbor has one. And Westmont has five. There are 18 teams from the 2015 NAIA Women's Soccer National Championship in the field again this year. Four teams make their first championship appearance. Cardinal Stritch, Wisconsin, Marymount, California, Mid-American Nazarene, Kansas, and Rochester from Michigan. Defending national champion Spring Arbor, also of Michigan, makes its eighth all-time appearance. There are six teams tied for the most wins this season at 18. Benedictine of Kansas, Columbia, Missouri, John Brown, Arkansas, Northwestern Ohio, Ottawa and Kansas, and Spring Arbor. The Golden State Athletic Conference, Heart of America Athletic Conference, and the Southern States Athletic Conference lead all leagues with three teams represented in the field. The last time a team won back-to-back championships was former NAIA member Lee from Tennessee. Lee won four titles in a row from 2008 to 2011. The NAIA Men's Soccer National Championship opening rounds get underway with 15 matches at campus locations this weekend. Kaiser Florida is the 31st team in the field but receives an NAIA opening round bye due to earning the host berth of the National Championship final site in Delray Beach, Florida. The 15 NAIA opening round winners will join Kaiser in the Sunshine State for National Championship final site action. The 16-team single elimination event runs from November 28th through December 3rd at the Seacrest Soccer Complex. Number one seed Hastings, Nebraska is making its 12th national championship appearance and eighth trip in the last nine years. And defending national champion Ryle Grant is searching to become the first repeat titleist since Lindsey Wilson did it in 2000 and 2001. Ralph Grant is the only team in NAIA postseason history to serve as opening round host all eight years since the format began in 2008. Number three seed Oklahoma Wesling enters the postseason with an 18-1-1 mark. The Eagles held the number one ranking in all eight regular season editions of the NAIA Coaches Top 25 poll. 
three qualifiers bring with them a previous national championship title. Davenport of Michigan's got one. Hastings has one. And Ryle Grand has two. On the other hand, there are four newcomers that will compete in the opening round. Friends from Kansas, LSU, Alexandria, and Louisiana. Purdue Northwest from Indiana. And Wayland Baptist from Texas. Last year, there were 10 rookies appearing in this event. 13 teams from the 2015 opening round are back in this year's event. The Heart of America Athletic Conference and the Sun Conference lend the most representatives in the field with three programs each. Hastings leads all qualifiers with 20 wins on the season. Corbin from Oregon is next with a 19-2-0 mark. Be sure to follow all the action on NAIA.org or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram using the hashtag NAIASoccer. That concludes the NAIA Men's and Women's Edition. Thanks to Chad Waller and Spencer Shee from the NAIA for their outstanding contributions. When we come back, we roll right into D3 Soccer. That and more on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Stay with us. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. Moving right along on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast, time now to talk Division Three soccer on the men's side. The top six teams in the NSCA rankings are Chicago, Amherst, Trinity U of Texas, Messiah, Kenyon, and SUNY Cortland all won their games. On the women's side, Division Three, unbeaten and untied William Smith and Trinity, Texas, both won their opening two games. Williams College is number three. And coming in at number four, it's Thomas Moore, located just outside of Cincinnati. Pleased to be joined by Jeff Cummings, the top man at Thomas Moore, and one of 16 teams remaining, a top five ranking still with the NSCAA. Jeff, thanks for being with us. Not a problem. How are you today? Doing great. Always good to talk to a uh, pseudo-Bengals fan. You're not quite as passionate as I need you to be talking about the, the Cincinnati Bengals, but that's where you grew up. Went to college at Northern Kentucky. When did you decide you were going to be a coach, Jeff? What happened? Probably while I was in college. Started coaching and, you know, it haven't stopped. Talk about your path then. How did you end up here at Thomas More? 2000, I was hired as the first full-time men's coach. You know, I think sometimes it's being in the right place at the right time. That's kind of how it was. Um, spent a year as the men's coach, then took over the men and the women as well for 2001 and 2002. Uh, decided to move on and go back to the club I grew up in and be their director for a few years. Late July 2006, uh, the guy that took over for me here at Thomas Moore as the men's and women's coach. Um, got a new job, so I had to, you know, they called and asked if I could help out for that fall and. Here we are 11 years later, and I'm still doing it. The only thing that's really changed is two years ago I stepped down as being the head men's coach and just take the women and help Eric with the men. All right, so that's fascinating because during that time you left to work with that club, did you ever think, man, I wouldn't mind going back? Did that thought ever cross your mind, or were you just kind of surprised at when the call came in? To be honest, I don't know that ever. It probably crossed my mind now and then, but it wasn't like, oh, I want to get back. You know, I was a bit young at the time, and – I think I was overwhelmed that first time through. The second time here, I feel much, I felt much more prepared for what needed to happen and how things needed to go. All right, talk to us about the Thomas More Saints and Thomas More College. Where is it located? What makes it so special, Coach? Ten minutes south of downtown Cincinnati in Crestview Hills, Kentucky. Um, it's a small, uh, you know, suburban campus. Beautiful. You know, we just have the the amenities we have for the kids from the standpoint of the other things to do off campus, 
Um, you know, and then just a quality education in a great city like Cincinnati is a lot of fun and a great place to be. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't think Ohio gets enough credit for the quality of soccer players on both sides, you know, girls and boys. Heather Mitz, I think, is from Cincinnati, in fact. And now you think about the success that Cincinnati's having in the USL with that John Harks team and 30,000 people. It's a pretty good soccer market, isn't it? It is. And, yeah, FC Cincinnati was a lot of fun this year. And, uh, you know, they've already surpassed, I think, all their expectations for year one. And, you know, even with raised expectations, I think they're ahead of schedule on year two, which is fun to see. You've led your team to eight presidents' athletic conference regular season titles in nine seasons. So clearly, you're a man who knows what he's doing. And now you're in the final 16 here. Do you have a team that could walk away with the national championship? I think that's a bit of a stretch. I'm saying we've had a rough go this fall. You know, you look at our record and probably don't, and probably think I'm just lying to you. But you know, we. Last weekend we started our you know our fifth and sixth forward um, on the depth chart about ten days into the season. You know we've had a run of some injuries and some bad luck with some things, and you know we're almost a mass unit just trying to survive in advance. Okay, well certainly you must be proud then uh, of the fortitude of your team. And talking about advancing, you've got to go to Wisconsin, Wisconsin Whitewater. You play Saturday at 11 a.m. What do you anticipate in that matchup? Uh, yeah, we have Chicago on Saturday, you know, a great program from the UAA. Actually played them last year in the round of 32, uh, the second round, um, and we're quite fortunate to get through on that day. You know, so I expect a a great battle, and hopefully we're lucky enough to come out on the right side. Going back to your decision to return to Thomas More, you were there, as you said, you left, you went to the club, now you're back 11 seasons. Are you at home now? Do you plan on being here for a while, Coach? I, I doubt I move. I'm saying I don't. I don't see myself leaving the Cincinnati area. This is kind of my home. You know, happy here. Family's here. You know, have a pretty good life going, and you know, and enjoying my time. All right. So, give us your take on the level of quality at the Division Three level, because a lot of the coaches that have been on our program all season long, they're pretty impressed with it. What are What are your thoughts, Coach? Oh, it's a very high level. You know, when you're talking about the top teams, you know, their ability to play soccer. Um, you know, and do things the right way and, you know, be creative um, and also be organized defensively. It's a pretty high level. Jeff Cummings, his 11th season as the head women's soccer coach at Thomas More. Of course, he just told you he coached the men for a long time now, still works there as the assistant coach and has his women. Despite all the injuries in the final 16, Jeff, congrats on all your success. Impressive record indeed. Thanks for being with us, and uh, we'll be tracking you on Saturday, okay? Thanks, Dean, and have a wonderful day. I'll do that, and I hope everybody listening will do just that, too. When we come back, we'll do a little Division II soccer, including a visit with Kevin Fickus, who is the head coach of the Colorado School of Mines women's soccer team at the D2 level. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game. Moving now to Division II soccer. Both tournaments are underway for men and women. On the men's side, your top four in the NSCAA rankings are LIU Post, Wingate, Simon Fraser, and the University of Charleston. On the women's side, Western Washington is number one, Grand Valley State two, University of Central Missouri three, Westchester is at four, Columbus State is number five, and at number six, it's the Colorado School of Mines. As we're joined by Kevin Fickus, now in his seventh season as the head women's soccer coach at the Colorado School of Mines, 16th 
overall, actually, now 17th overall, actually, at the Colorado School of Mines. Kevin Fickus, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Kevin, I got to admit, I didn't know before setting up this call that uh, you actually at one time called my now home, Chapel Hill home. You uh, played high school soccer here in Chapel Hill. Tell me about that. I did. Um, I was a uh, Chapel Hill High School Tiger. Back then, we used to say um, before games, Icky Cha, which was um, what we were told is victory in Vietnamese. I don't know if that's actually true or not. <laughs> All right. So then you go to UNC Charlotte under Frank Kolenstein, who ironically is the men's coach at the Colorado School of Mines. Talk about that recruiting process and why you picked UNC Charlotte. Well, I had an interesting recruiting process. I was, um, let's say, a not very uh, enthusiastic uh, student um, at Chapel Hill High School, and I really didn't want to go to college at all. So I moved to Florida with my mother after uh, college, and um, I mean, sorry, after high school, and and uh, one year of washing cars and not making it at the pro level at that time convinced me I needed to go to school. So um, Frank, uh, when he was at USC Spartanburg, he. Um, you know, he had seen me play and talked to me then, and, you know, since I didn't decide to go to school, he remembered me, so on a, um, I was supposed to go to University of Tampa, and that somehow fell through over the summer of uh, 89, and I called UNC Charlotte on a Friday and was headed down there uh, on a Sunday to start preseason. Wow, that so that's is, how that worked. Not yeah. quite traditional. No, it's not. But it's good that Frank saw something in you, and hopefully you uh, took a little bit more, let's say you had a little more vigor in your academics as well during your time there. Tell me you did, Kevin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, college to me was an eye-opener. You have a lot more time to do your work. Chapel Hill High School was a very challenging high school, and I, I was I was very well-prepared. Um um, in, in many ways, going into UNC Charlotte, and I really did fall in love uh, with my studies, especially after I got all the, you know, the the basic requirements out of the way, and I could go um, just into doing what I really like, uh, which was, you know, reading and, and writing, so English lit. All right. After college, you spent time in the professional ranks with three programs I'm very familiar with, the Richmond Kickers, the Raleigh mm-hmm. Flyers, and the Wilmington Hammerheads. What was that experience like? You know, it was awesome. It was, uh, I really loved my college soccer experience. You know, um, I liked the pro experience because, um, you know, we just, we just got to play, you know, we just trained and, you know, didn't have to go to class or anything like that. And, uh, that, that was just, uh, it was a fun time. I got to play with a lot of really high level players. You know, I played with Jason Christ, uh, at the Flyers. I played with a guy named Dean Angeloff, um, up at Richmond Kickers who, um, you know, he had spent time with Risto Stoitzkoff on the Bulgarian national team. So very, very high-level player, um, you know, and got to continue to play with a lot of my college teammates. And, you know, obviously with, with Frank as well, with the kickers and the flyers in the first year, you know, uh, just kind of continue that, uh, that, that joyful time in my life. And, um, you know, and then I also in the pros, I got to see differences between the way a good program is run and the way – a not-so-good program is run. So I, I that kind of helped me with coaching, I believe, right at, uh, although I didn't know at the time, I did uh, that did help a lot uh, to form a basis of some ideas for coaching. What was your move after those three years? How did you get into coaching? 
when I uh, when I played for the Flyers uh, and the Hammerheads, actually, I I had a part time gig in town at a hardwood flooring place. It was a mom and pop organization. They were really really uh, good to me, and actually, they employed uh, several of us from the Flyers who weren't very highly paid. And um, you know, we just used that to make ends meet. And uh, I went there. I went full time there, and I decided, hmm, you know, I don't really want to do this. And actually, my boss at the time said to me, why don't you try giving back to soccer? Why don't you try coaching? So I thought, that's a good idea. And I called uh, Frank. Uh, I knew he was out here in Colorado. And, you know, I called him. And, uh, and I said, hey, is there any work out there? I'd like to try to give this uh, thing a try. And he goes, yeah, man, there's a lot of work out here. You should, uh, you know, he had just gotten on board with Real Colorado. And he had just gotten the job at Mines. Uh, so, um, you know, a couple weeks later, two weeks later, I was driving out to, go to Colorado and I asked my uh, fiance at the time, I said, Hey, you know, Kim, do you want to go? Would you go to Colorado? And she goes, yeah, let's get out of here. So, um, that's what happened. All right. Let's talk about your team right now. You're in the sweet 16 here of division two women's soccer. You'll play on Friday at noon against Texas A&M. Commerce, talk about your team. What makes them special and what makes them maybe have the ability to win a national championship? It's a big question. I think the main thing is, uh, for us, what, what makes us get uh, special is just the, the type of school that Mines is. We are a, a, an engineering school. We're you know, really world-renowned and definitely nationally renowned as one of the best engineering schools out there. Um, it, and everyone's an engineer. We don't offer anything else. You can do science and math. Or you can do math and science, um, but you're going to come out of here an engineer uh, for the most part. And um, you know, the courses are challenging. Um, the kids, uh, you know, do have exams in this week. We'll have exams uh, in the evening, um, many of them. And the school just kind of, you know, if, if you get into school here, you're a hard worker, and that carries over uh, onto the field. The girls are very, very good at coming out to training and concentrating and learning what we ask them to learn and uh, are, are um, diligent with uh, things that they can do outside of, you know, being around their coaches, those of them who can come early do and, and work on some things that they need to work on. And, uh, you know, just that, that, that blue-collar work ethic really does uh, come over onto the soccer field for us. And I, and I do think that that's one of the, the main things, uh, one of our main strengths is that we just, you know, to a man, it's a reliable team. Uh, you touched on it earlier, but again, how valuable is it having such a great relationship with Frank Kolenstein, the head coach of the men's team at Mines? Well, you know, I was the, I was, I came on at first as a volunteer assistant. So, you know, Frank gave me, you know, he gave me my my chance really in coaching, um, got me started. And uh, I think one of the things that's really nice for us as a program, and I, you know, I can't speak to other programs, but we we work together. You know, because we basically we have one field that we need to make sure that we're sharing from a training perspective, and you know, there's another field that we use. It's just not. It's just much smaller. But uh, so we work together with things like that, and there's just there's no there's no animosity back and forth between the two programs. You know, I, I get along really well with Frank. Obviously, I get really uh, along really well with Greg Mulholland, who's the men's assistant. Uh, you know, um, and uh, you know, and my assistant Shannon McDonald. We all we all get along in the office, and uh, we we have we have a lot of fun together, which is you know the reason we do this for the most part. Um, it just makes things uh, it makes things a lot easier. 
Kevin Fickus, big personality. We saw it uh, as part of the NSCAA television show as well. Great to have you on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Good luck in the Sweet 16. Keep it going. And here's the deal. If you win it all, you got to be back on the program uh, after you win it, okay? That would be a great problem to have. <laughs> Kevin Fickus, always fun. Thanks for being with us. Thanks a lot. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. Time now to talk men's Division One soccer. And coming up, we'll talk to the head coach of the number four seed, Louisville Cardinals, a good friend to the NSCAA, Kenny Lola. And speaking of good friends, we call him the RPI doctor on the Big Ten Network, the 16-year head coach of the Northwestern Wildcats men's soccer team, Tim Lenahan. What a job he's done since coming to Evanston, taking over a team that couldn't even think about winning a Big Ten game, let alone a Big Ten title. He won it in 2011 and 2012, plus the tournament in 2011 when he pulled a double. Even as impressive, or perhaps more impressive, he's made the NCAA tournament nine times and made a couple deep runs as well. Talking about Tim Lenahan. Tim, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Dean. Really excited coming up here this week to... Uh be a part of NCAA soccer. Really looking forward to watching some games. Well, we want to have you on because we're going to have Kenny Lola on in a second. Now, he's the number four seed with the Louisville Cardinals. But as you know, just 48 teams get in. So that's a lot of heartbreak for the teams that are just on the bubble. I need you to kind of explain this whole RPI madness and particularly from a Big Ten point of view, why John Trask and Wisconsin didn't get in because that was kind of the crux of our initial conversation. Yeah, I mean, the RPI, it's, it's a measurement of your uh, strength of schedule, your opponent's strength of schedule, and your record. So um, it's an inexact science in that, you know, you do a lot of scheduling uh, years in advance. So what you want to try to do is you've got to schedule some wins on your schedule. Uh, not that any game is easy at Division One, but you also have to challenge yourself a little bit. And uh, what happens is, you know, the better your opponents do, the, the better your RPI is, and, usually, and that's used as a primary tool for the selection committee. Uh, once you get to the bottom, you know, five or six or seven teams picked, they start to, uh, in the RPI, they start to look specifically at their uh, strength of schedule and the number of quality wins. Do you have any wins against other NCAA opponents or any wins in the top 25? Um, and that's how maybe the last one or two uh, get picked. Um, for Wisconsin, I can tell you, having seen them uh, several times and just watched them last week uh, live and in person, they are a terrific team. They are a very good team. And I know they're ranked in the top 20 because probably they're one of the top 20 teams in the country. Unfortunately for John Trask, the back end of the Big Ten, us included, didn't have great years. So that's going to negatively impact the RPI. Some of the teams that he thought would be challenging RPI games, like Santa Clara, who won their league last year, St. Louis University, who's always you know, a top team, and Marquette, also had not as strong a years. So at the end of the day, Wisconsin's um, strength of schedule was only the 92nd best in the country, 
And even though they had three very good draws, two against Indiana, one against Michigan State, there was no wins in the top against the top 50. Um, and a strength of schedule of 92, it's going to be hard to jump up over somebody in the ranking. On the contrary, Villanova had, I think, a top 30 strength of schedule and uh, also had two top 25 wins over Boston College and Creighton. So when it comes down to looking at those two, it's not like basketball where the, the eye test, Wisconsin, absolutely passed with flying colors. They were a very good team. Um, but it's not like basketball where all the committee members are watching every single game during the, during the course of the whole year. Um, so a lot of times it comes down to that statistical analysis at the end of the day. And unfortunately for Wisconsin, there was just nothing on there other than they're a very good team and they had three good ties to really leapfrog somebody else to get into that top group. That's a great breakdown of the back end of it. Now, how about those top 16 seeds? And we'll start with the first four, though, because there's a no-doubter in Sasso Sarosky in Maryland. And really, Wake Forest winning the ACC. Incredible job by Bobby Muse. What a job he's done. And then you think about Clemson under Mike Noonan and our guest right after you, Kenny Lola. Your assessment of those four teams real quick. Yeah, I mean, you know, the ACC had a terrific year, nine teams in the in the uh, NCAA tournament, including seven seeds. So um, they, they had a terrific year. Um, but Maryland went undefeated. Um, they lived on the edge a little bit the last uh, month, I would say, with some come-from-behind victories and, and uh, you know, some overtime wins and, and uh, you know, some close games. But still, at the end of the day, there's a big goose egg in that loss column. And uh, and Louisville, um, you know, being the four seed, kind of jumped a few people because of the, the when they get to picking the final four, which is the top four, which means that you will play every game until the final until the College Cup at home. They really look at the number of wins you had against top twenty-five teams. So that's why a team like Louisville can move into the top four because they had a terrific year. Maybe their RPI is a couple points lower than everybody else, but. You know, when the committee is deciding who's going to get those home home games, it, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to come down to did you beat teams in the top 10, in the top 15, in the top 25, and all four of those teams certainly worth deserving of their, their top seats. It doesn't hurt that Kenny Lola plays in one of the best facilities with uh, one of the nation's best attendants as well, I would imagine. Yeah, and also... I can also add that he's a fellow New Jerseyan. Um, <laughs> um, so, Everything uh, flows we, we through New Jersey and Philly. We played Louisville in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago, and um, that was before their new field, and they had a great atmosphere down there. So with that new field, I'm sure – you know they're looking forward to having a couple home games, but you know the, these games are tough. It's it, every team is pretty good. Um, you know even those mid majors that won their conference, they've just played you know three in most cases three games of one and done. So they're already kind of battle tested a little bit, and that's why you see some upsets. You know both in the first round and then also in that seated that second round of round of uh, thirty two. Let's get you off the cuff then five through sixteen. Is there one or two teams that uh, you looked at and analyzed that wow they could make a run if they get hot? Well, I mean Stanford's the defending champion until somebody beats them, and they closed very very well at the end of the year. They were uh, they lost this one player from last year's team, uh, Jordan Morris. Um, so I think in the beginning of the year they were kind of finding their way a little bit, but 
they they closed really strongly to to, to win the pack and and to uh, get a top five seed. So um, staring at um, if they can get through, you know their their first two games, they'd be looking at Virginia um, in the round of sixteen. Um, so they're they're the defending champion until you know somebody proves otherwise. Um, I'm interested to see how the the mid majors do. You know, we got a couple mid majors who are now seeded teams like Denver and uh, Albany. You know, so I'm interested to see how they handle the pressure of, you know, uh, you know, playing a probably a good opponent coming through the second round. So I'm interested to see how both Albany and Denver, you know, kind of handle the pressure of being a, a seeded team. Like- but Stanford's still the champion until somebody proves otherwise. Um, I think in that first four group, Wake Forest, you know, was fantastic. Last watch the ACC jumped back and forth between that and the Big Ten championship on TV, and they they were terrific. Well said, Tim Lenahan. We've got to get him in a lab coat at some point and have him on television with goggles and the whole works as well. Finally, yeah, Tim. <laughs> I, uh, there's a guy out in California, Gaucho Dan, now who's you know uh, really kind of set the bar as far as the the RPI. So. He makes my life a lot easier in that I just go look at his stuff. In the old days, I was trying to calculate that stuff myself, but he's got all these spreadsheets going. So my life's been a lot easier uh, in terms of getting phone calls from other coaches about what do you think and where are we and all that stuff. So uh, uh, shout out to Gaucho Dan. I think he's made every Division One coach's life a little easier. Uh, unfortunately, those that were on the bubble on the wrong side, he made their life a little tougher, the sleep a little tougher on that Sunday. Well done. Gotchel Dan is the man. Real quickly, Tim, though, you've also been a friend of the NSCAA. You give great presentations, some of the best you'll ever see. Very funny as well, but extremely informational. Obviously, the NSCAA has meant a lot to you, Coach. Yeah, I mean, my life turned around. I was a computer um, you know, software engineer, and I took an NSCAA coaching course in 1989. Actually, one of my instructors was John Bloom, uh, who's now you know, a colleague at Ohio State, and uh, taking the coaching course just really uh, changed my life, and it really did provide a lot of enthusiasm to kind of pursue this life, um, you know. So, uh, and also going to the convention every year, and the the camaraderie and the connections, and then also being able to step into, you know, some people's uh, sessions, and I'm, I really enjoy the the leadership and the sports psychology stuff. I won't be giving a presentation this year, so it'll be good for me to get out to California. And, and uh, get to see some other people do their stuff. A 16-year head coach at Northwestern, nine NCAA tournament appearances. Always enjoy calling your games on the Big Ten Network. And, Tim, there's a chance the Indiana game on Sunday could be on BTN. We hope you tune in. Yeah, I think it should be a great game. Obviously, Akron, you know, the the house that, you know, Caleb Porter and Kenny Lola um, helped build you know, would be uh, very familiar with Indiana. And then uh, Villanova, the other possibility, that's our former assistant here, Tom Carlin, um, that'll be playing there. So I'll be very interested in watching that game come Sunday. Yeah, the Tim Lenahan coaching tree growing stronger by the minute. Tim, thanks for being with us on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for all that you do for college soccer and the NSCAA. The 2017 NSCAA. 
CAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at nscaa.com. You just heard Tim Lenahan, the RPI doctor, break down the 48 teams, how they got in, the winners and the losers, and certainly wish John Trask all the best as it's disappointment Wisconsin did not get in. One team that definitely got in, ranked fourth, in fact, the Louisville Cardinals under the fine direction of a dear friend of the NSCAA and a dear friend of the NSCAA Game of the Week on Fox Soccer. We always enjoyed, always enjoyed calling games for Kenny Lola and Louisville. And we're talking about Kenny Lola, the 11th-year head coach at Louisville. Ken, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you, Dean. It's always a pleasure spending time with you. Well, likewise, for sure. Okay, let's talk immediate business, and that is on Sunday, you will play the winner of Colgate and UCLA, 5 o'clock at your beautiful stadium, which we'll get to in a second. But obviously, as you're preparing for that, you'll have your eye on California between that game between UCLA and Colgate. Talk about your preparation and what you'll do during that game. Will you watch it with your team? What's going on? Well, we'll certainly watch it. Um, we've watched some games, some of their previous games as well already, and um, and obviously um, watching that game with just knowing who we're going to be playing on Sunday is hugely important. But we'll, you know, we'll use it um, as just intrigue of, of who the next opponent is going to be for us and, and partly scouting as well, which we'll have have done a fair bit of that even before the game. So we, we will watch it on Thursday and uh, with, with tremendous interest. Talk about this team this year. I mean, you guys have been in the top ten pretty much all year. You made that early run, and then you've got to deal with the, the battles of the ACC, which is just brutal. I mean, and then the ACC tournament, I mean, it's just incredible. You think about all the teams from the ACC in the Big Dance, nine to be exact. Every single game is going to be tough. Did you know you had a team that could handle that battle and be here as the number four seed? We expected in the beginning of the year with a group that we assembled that we'd have enough experience and talent to do it. Um, but you never really know until you get into the grind of it, you know, of, of playing the likes of, uh, of Notre Dame and Syracuse and, um, and Wake Forest and Clemson, Boston College, all those on a, on a weekly basis. And, you know, and furthermore, even, you know, when you look at the ACC, it, it's impressive in what we've done and getting nine in, but, when you look at our division, the Atlantic Division, uh, three of the top four teams are from the Atlantic Division, and I think we, we got all but one team in um, from our group. So, you know, it's it's not only a, a tough conference, but on top of it, our division within the conference was uh, even more uh, strenuous and, and challenging. We're going to talk about your path, but right now your path – put you in Louisville at this beautiful stadium, beautiful facility. Tell us about it because those that haven't seen it on the Fox Soccer Game of the Week are not lucky enough to see how beautiful it is, and you pack it as well. It's just fantastic, Kenny. One, we were very, very fortunate that uh, Dr. Mark and Cindy Lynn uh, decided to invest in in our program and the stadium. Uh, The stadium is named after them, and um, they donated $5 million of their personal money. Um, it wasn't even part of his business that he has, VisionWorks, which uh, has been tremendously successful. They, 
they invested their personal dollars in it. And, and because of that, um, Tom Jurich um, committed to building a, the finest collegiate stadium in the, in the country. And um, it's not, not just the stadium, but it's also um, the locker room and offices and training room and, and warm-up area, classroom, all the things that are attached to it that make it a very professional environment and an environment that helps our guys reach their, their full potential. Well, when you came to Louisville, it was Big East. They had that kind of transfer year as well. Now the ACC. As you've been part of the growth of Louisville during those 11 years, what was that process like switching leagues a couple times? Well, you know, it starts with uh, Tom Jurich, our AD, and his vision. Um, long, you know, before I got here, when he arrived, uh, he had the, the vision of bringing them, I think, at, at one point from Conference USA, you know, just to a, a better place, a better neighborhood. And and it went into the Big East, which was an awesome home for us and uh, tremendous uh, association with the teams there. And it helped our program, but it helped all the programs, you know, continue to grow uh, nationally. Uh, and then the opportunity came with the ACC. And I think simply because of what we had done as an athletic program, the growth of the university, uh, Tom and our president just positioned us to be attractive for the ACC. And, you know, we we're very fortunate timing of it with Maryland leaving and uh, and looking for a, a, another member that we were in the right place at the right time. And I uh, give again, I give a lot of credit to Tom George and his vision. Um, and with that, I think not just for men's soccer, but all of our programs at the University of Louisville, it's, it's raised the bar. And because of that, um, Tom has provided the resources, such as our stadium, like like Glenn Stadium, uh, provide us the resources to be successful. And, um, you know, we're grateful for that. It's, um, it's challenging, but all at the same time, very rewarding. Certainly you knew all about the ACC. You were one of the finest midfielders in the Atlantic Coast Conference, earning all-conference honors three times and All-America honors in 81 and 83 while at Duke under the great John Rennie in 2002. You were one of 55 players named to the ACC's 50th anniversary men's soccer team. You played again under John Rennie. How did that time prepare you to be a coach? Did you know working under him as a player that that is what you wanted to do? Well, you know, the time at, at Duke was special, and it was special because uh, I arrived with a number of, of players that uh, we had a very young team and had not experienced any success prior. Anyway, I think it was John's second year there, and um, I, again, I arrived with a, a group of, of pretty good freshmen. And from that point, we were a part of the growth of Duke soccer and and really the growth of the ACC because – it was at that time that Clemson had a very good team, NC State was growing, UNC was very good, and there was this growth um, not only with Duke soccer but the ACC as well. So I was very privileged and blessed to be a part of um, that time for Duke and the ACC. Um, and with the four years we had there, we had tremendous success playing the national final and um, I, I think that growth and that experience fueled not only um, my passion for the game, um, but also collegiate soccer. And um, I, I knew afterwards, one, that my first priority was to continue playing as long as I could, um, but at some point that uh, to stay in the game uh, because of such a, a positive experience. 
got to mention, 26 years as a head coach, just 11 with Louisville, three at Belmont Abbey, and then an incredible run at Akron. In fact, to be fair, Caleb Porter probably gets more credit, and I think he would even say it, than he deserves for turning Akron into a national powerhouse. Do you share those sentiments? I mean, Kenny, you were there putting Akron on the map before they won their national championship. Talk about your time at Akron. First start by saying that, you know, what Caleb did there was tremendous. Um, he deserves a lot of credit because um, he he did have a lot of success and did a tremendous job while he was there. And and I, I would don't mind saying I, I recommended he was one of three guys I recommended. So I, I knew he had the potential um, to, to be a great coach as well. Um, but, you know, my time there was a little bit different than Caleb's in this, is that in, in the time that I was there at, at Akron, uh, they didn't put a ton of resources into it, um, that we had to be very creative in um, how we managed the, the money we had, scholarships, things like that, that um, to, to be ranked number one in the country at our, you know, in my final season there, it came from building a program really while it was um, not uh, so fully supported. And I think once I left, they recognized the potential of the program and started supporting Caleb, especially because of success, a little bit more um, and provided him not only facilities but finances to, to continue to grow the program to make it, you know, what it was while he was there. So it was a it was a tremendous uh, experience. I only have fond memories of my time at, at Akron, and uh, it was a great growth experience that you know provided me the opportunity to, to be successful here. The Louisville job opens up. You get a phone call. What happened? How did that process go down? It was uh, quick, actually. Um, I, got a, I got a call, actually, during our season, and, and they had an interest in me and how that call happened. Actually, I, I called them. Um, on behalf, somebody asked for me to call on, on their behalf because the job was opening, which, which opened the lines of communications with Louisville. I, to be honest with you, I had no intentions of, of pursuing it. Um, and while I was on the phone, they said, would you be interested? And, and I said, listen, we're in the middle of our, our season. Um, so, you know, perhaps we should talk after the season, um, you know, when, when everything's done. And, we had lost in the, in the quarterfinals on penalties to Maryland, and um, certainly they called a few days later and said the, the opportunity is still there. Would you be interested? And it was at that point after the season, I had a little bit of time to, to look into it. And the one thing I, I realized uh, was that the University of Louisville had one of the best ADs in the country. And it was uh, more a belief in the fact that they were in the Big East and Tom George's reputation uh, that made me interested and intrigued, and in, in coming down here and understanding the vision for the school, um, for the athletic department, um, in a matter of you know 48, 72 hours, it, it was pretty convincing that this was a place that um, was going to continue to grow and, and put the resources into being successful. And um, it was hard to leave Akron, though, because my wife Tina, her family was there, and. We had spent ten, you know, over ten years, thirteen years there, and and had a lot of support and and family there. But um, we both agreed that for our growth, not only professionally but personally, it was it was an awesome opportunity. Well, now in your eleventh season, and you've had an incredible run the last six seasons. You got in Louisville to a national runner-up, two more 
Elite Eight appearances and five total NCAA championship berths. So clearly, this is now home for you, Kenny. <laughs> it is. We we enjoy being here, and um, the community is um, is great. They're they were so welcoming when we came in and still very tremendously supportive of what we're doing, not only with the University of Louisville, but, but generally within the community of, of our outreach. And um, we're, we're thankful for that and know we're very blessed to be a part of this community. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Tina Bowman, your wife, as uh, you've got three children, Tyler, Christiana, and Elijah. And you're more than a soccer coach. You're a great husband, a family man as well. And you're also an author with your wife. Tell us more about that. Well, we we um, we believe um, that the the power of words and story um, are are so influential, uh, especially on the youth. That when our kids were very young, um, Tyler's now nineteen, but when he was uh, first born, and and at night when we put him to bed, we um, were convicted to, to to tell him stories that. And, and stories that had some meaning and value to them that uh, we believe that when, you know, when you go to bed at night that your, your mind still marinates on whatever you read or heard or, or you know, saw last. So, so we, we believe that um, those moments before they go to sleep were valuable moments and we tell them stories. And uh, oftentimes uh, we would tell them stories that we make up of interest for them. And, and Tyler especially was very interested in soccer um, because of what his dad, you know, did. And, and also uh, he loved animals. So we we developed a story that um, that had both uh, elements in it and, and then some principles, some principles of success. And as we told it, he, he wanted to hear it more and more. And it carried over to uh, Christiana and Elijah as well. And at one point, you know, Tina said to me, she said, at least for um, our family's sake, we probably should put this in, in a book and just for posterity and we can pass this on um, because you never know if the words and the story itself will be passed on. But once we put it in the book, you know, we can then pass it down to generations. So in doing that, we, we found somebody um, to, to help us do the illustration, and uh, what happened was it kind of took off. It, it took a life of its own, and um, pretty soon some of the bookstores locally wanted it, and um, we self-published it, and um, it's out there in circulation, and it's it's done pretty well. It's a, it's a fun story, and um, we're proud of it, and again, something that we can pass on to our uh, our family and future generations. The name of the book and where people can find it real quick, Kenny. The name of the book is called Finding Your Gifts. And um, if you go to simplyfindingyourgifts.com, um, you, can, you can find it there. There are some, some local stores that are still carrying it, but that would probably be the easiest place to go find it. All right, before you came on, we talked to Tim Lenahan about the minefield of picking the 48 teams. You know the deal. I think you got to win five games in total to take the championship home in Houston. What does Louisville got to do to take home that national championship? Well, right now it's to win one game. You know, that's, that's the key. Um, you know, you don't really know what the journey is because um, there's unknowns out there. There's other games to be played. Uh, on Thursday, we'll find out who our opponent is. And um, for us right now, to, to win the whole thing, we got to focus on making sure that we can win the next game. And, and we'll know on Thursday who that is. But on Sunday, we'll have one game in the NCAA tournament. 
and we got to win that one. And that's the focus right now is just to take care of that one um, because we don't know what the journey lies uh, ahead of us. You have uh, been a part, as I said, when we came on of the NSCAA College Game of the Week on Fox. Clearly, you're a friend of the NSCAA. What has that organization meant to you, Coach? Well, it's meant so many things. One, it's uh, it's educational. You know, the what they provide in educational resources is massive. Um, the convention alone and, and what that provides and, um, and displays and uh, demonstrations and teaching and seminars um, is awesome. If nobody's ever, if you haven't ever been to it, you need to go because it's a great opportunity to continue to grow and learn. And it's just a promotion of the game, especially college soccer. We're so appreciative. You mentioned earlier the, the game of the week, so we're so appreciative that early on that uh, NSCAA took the lead in, in getting the game out there and uh, making it uh, able to be viewed by so many people. Um, and, and, and lastly, it's just a promotion of soccer in general. You know, we, we have so many members in the NSCAA, and that, the, the growth of that is a product of uh, the membership and, and what the NSCAA has done. And, it, it, again, it's just wonderful for, for soccer. One of the all-time great guys of soccer, Ken Lola. So great to talk to you again, Kenny. We wish you all the best in the NCAA tournament, and congrats on all of your success everywhere, but especially now at Louisville. And, and Dean, thank you for everything you do. The podcast has been awesome, um, and again, another product of the NSCAA and helping us promote, so we so much appreciate you taking the time to, to do that. Appreciate it, Kenny. Go Cards, okay? Take care. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game. The second round of the NCAA Division I Women's Tournament begins today, Thursday. And the second and third rounds will be played at regional sites this weekend. At South Carolina, Shelly Smith's team will play Colorado. And the winner of that game will play the winner of BYU-Oklahoma. On Friday in Morgantown, West Virginia, Nikki Izzo-Brown's number one team in the country, West Virginia, will face Lori Walker's Ohio State Buckeyes. UCLA will play Nebraska in the other game. Duke will host against Illinois State. SIU takes on Northwestern in the other game at Duke. In Chapel Hill, it's the Tar Heels versus Kansas. Clemson and Arkansas in the other match. In Gainesville, Florida will take on Wisconsin with Auburn and Connecticut meeting in the other one. At USC, it's the Trojans taking on Texas A&M with Mark Ricoin and Florida State taking on Utah. At Georgetown, it's Georgetown and Rutgers, and they'll face the winner of Virginia and Penn State. And then finally, out in Stanford, it's Pepperdine and NC State, the Wolfpack penalty kick winners over the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And in the other game, what a matchup it will be. Your host, Stanford, against their longtime rivals, Dr. Jerry Smith and Santa Clara. Paul Ratcliffe of Stanford is perhaps the most successful coach in more than 100 years of Stanford soccer, men or women. In 14 seasons as head coach coming into this year, the Stanford women have won one national championship, reached three NCAA finals, won five Pac-12 titles, played in six college cups, and reached the NCAA third round the past 10 seasons. And the Cardinal has advanced to the College Cup six 
of the past eight years. Paul Radcliffe, pleasure to be with you. Thanks for being on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Thanks, Dean. I appreciate you having me. It was really a good time spending time with you as part of the Fox Soccer NSCAA Game of the Week a few years ago in Arizona State. That was fantastic. Paul, got to know you a little bit better there. And one of the things that uh, we like to talk about on the air was your college days because you played for Ziggy Schmidt during a time when I can't remember a program that produced more high-profile players that went on to great success with the U.S. national team, Major League Soccer, now their television personalities and the like. That was pretty phenomenal, your time at UCLA, wasn't it, Coach? Yeah, I have fond memories of my time at UCLA. Um, Ziggy Schmidt was a a fantastic head coach to have. He creates an environment of excellence. And then just the guys that I played with have all gone on to great things, whether it's in soccer or outside of soccer. And just uh, we had a great camaraderie. I really enjoyed that. I know you're going to be worried about missing some of the names, but just talk about five or six of the names that come to mind immediately that were on that team, Paul, because I love it. Oh, Dean, you're going to get me in trouble here. So, yeah, I mean, Brad Friedel, Kobe Jones, Chris Henderson, Joe Max Moore, um, so many great players. I could go on and on. There are so many great players on our team. Yeah, Mike Lapper. What about Jorge Salcedo? Was he Jorge with Salcedo, the current UCLA men's coach. Yeah, there are a lot of great. So the, the cool thing to see is they've all gone on and they had so much, so many great memories from soccer, and now they're giving back to the game, whether they're coaching or broadcasting. You know, Brad Friedel and Kobe are broadcasting. They obviously had great careers, but it's good to see they're giving back to the game uh, and keeping the, the legacy going. Paul was a star midfielder at UCLA, scored 30 points in 73 matches, and was a member of that 1990 national championship at UCLA. Okay, so you mentioned Ziggy Schmidt. Like, when did you know, hey, I want to be a coach? Like, when did that bug get in your system there, coach? Yeah, no, it's not something I really thought about. It just happened. Um, I was very fortunate to be, um, you know, learning from Ziggy. Uh, During the summers of my playing career at UCLA, I would help Ziggy with his camps, and I would usually do the demonstrations. Um, And I didn't realize that you're constantly learning, and Ziggy's a pro. So I was constantly learning from him. And then my last year playing at UCLA, they asked me to be the graduate assistant coach for the men's team, but but they started a women's program that same year. So then Ziggy asked if I would help with the women where I could take a more active role and really be coaching. So um, I took the opportunity, and from there I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, you know working with all the ladies on the team, and uh, you know I went and played indoor soccer for a little bit, and then after my career in indoor, I came back to coaching, and uh, it's ever since I, I've really loved what I've been doing. Then you get the opportunity to go to St. Mary's, where you spent five outstanding years. Talk about that experience, Coach. St. Mary's was a great challenge for me. Um, you know, I met a lot of nice people there, put together a good team, and uh, we had a really strong run. I think we surprised a lot of people at St. Mary's because it is a smaller school. Um, but, you know, the West Coast Conference is a strong conference, and we were playing against uh, Portland at the time with Clive Charles, very famous coach. Um, and then Jerry Smith at Santa Clara still doing really well there. So there were a lot of good coaches in the conference um, for me to learn from and, and compete against. So I really felt like that helped me in my development, and it was my first opportunity to be a head coach and really uh, you know, apply my techniques and things that I thought could help a team you know, be successful. Paul, what do you remember about that 2002-2003 time when the Stanford job opened up? What can you tell us about that process? Yeah, I, it was interesting because I was very happy at St. Mary's. And, um, 
you know, I didn't have my sights on going any further. I just wanted to coach. And at that time, I enjoyed my relationship with all my players and the staff and everybody at St. Mary's. But, um, you know, my wife encouraged me to apply. She's from the Bay Area. So I applied to the Stanford for the Stanford job and they brought me in and I looked around and I was kind of taken aback by how unbelievable the university was and all the people that I met. They were very, um, you know, warm to me. And uh, the more I looked into it, I said, this could be an unbelievable opportunity. And I was very fortunate they offered the position to me. And, uh, you know, I accepted immediately. Well, beginning in your first year, 2003, till now, you've made the NCAA tournament every year. But take us back to that incredible run, 2008 semifinals, 2009 final, 2010 final, 2011 champion, 2012 semifinals. And, of course, two years later, again, you were in the semifinals. But that run right there, particularly from 2009 to 2011, one of the greatest runs we've ever seen in women's college soccer. Yeah, those were extraordinary times. Um, we had a really, really strong team. Um, you know, some of the star players during that time were, you know, Kristen Press and Kelly O'Hara. Uh, the ironic part was we had two of the best players ever. They're still on the, the full women's national team. And we couldn't win a, a national championship until just after they both graduated. So it's amazing the power of team because we had a lot of unsung heroes, I would say, that were great players but didn't have the superstar label like the Kelly O'Hara's and the Kristen Presses. And we were able to finally get over the, the hump and uh, win a national championship, was, which was really memorable. But all those years, um, you know, we played some great soccer and uh, so many great memories. 18-1-1 this year. Your only loss to USC, your only tie to Notre Dame. And that sets us up now in the NCAA tournament. Houston Baptist, a 4 nothing win. Now you've got Santa Clara. Dr. Jerry Smith just down the road. That's Friday night, 7 o'clock at Stanford. That's always an exciting game. A lot of emotion involved in that yeah. game as well, Coach. Talk about Friday night. Yeah, it'll be a battle. Uh, Jerry Smith and Santa Clara, very strong program. Um, they're 20 minutes down the road from us, so they know us really well. Um, like you said, it's an, usually an emotional battle. So, you know, hopefully we can d- keep our heads and, um, you know, kind of play soccer and not turn it into a fight where everyone's running around tackling each other because there is so much emotion with the rivalry match like this. Um, so I think that's going to be key for us and for them that we uh, that we can kind of uh, use our intelligence, move the ball, and create good chances. Paul, I know you're not looking ahead. You never do. As you're very pragmatic and your approach is incredible. Like I said, I love spending that time with you during that Fox Soccer Game of the Week. But it's kind of exciting that the College Cup Final is going to be out in your backyard. Have you thought about that just a little teeny bit, Paul? Yeah, I have. I mean, you know, my big concern is, like you said, we don't look ahead. You know, we're focused on this next game, Friday night against Santa Clara, and that's all I'm really looking at. Um, but if we can advance, it's fantastic that we're having the College Cup on the West Coast, um, especially in San Jose. Uh, so we're excited about that opportunity. You know, my hope is that we don't get, uh, you know, too excited and look forward because it is game by game is how you have to think at this stage because it is single elimination, as you know. So that all our concentration is on Santa Clara. But it would be, you know, a great thrill for all of us to be able to play in the Bay Area and represent Stanford University in the College Cup. All right, Paul, as we wrap up, we've already referenced your great time at Stanford, but 
with your great teams as well. A familiar theme this year, though, is the incredible parity, the competitiveness, the high level of the women's game at the Division One level for women's college soccer. I've never seen anything like it, Paul. What is your take? Yeah, no, I've been saying this for a number of years. There is so much parity in women's soccer now. I go recruiting, and there are you know 100 players that I look at, and I say, wow, I would be excited to coach them because there's so much talent. So I think this is the trend for the future. Um, every game is a battle, and uh, I think you'll see a lot of different results in the future that will surprise people. But um, it's a credit to all the youth coaches out there and uh, the amount of time and effort young people are putting, especially on the women's side, they're putting into their training on a weekly basis to become the best they can be. And with that, Anson Dorrance, who's already been on the program, also talked about the fact that he thinks college soccer has done more for the international game than any other place to develop players. Do you agree with his sentiments on what college soccer's meant, not just for the U.S. national team, Canada and Mexico and some other teams? Absolutely. Uh, you know, and as you see more international players coming over and trying to play in college. So, I, you know, I think it's great for the development, um, and it's good to see women's soccer developing around the world. Um, you know, you just saw the U-20s play France. The French team was fantastic. So, you know, I think that's a, a great movement for women's soccer, and you're going to see it more and more. All right, good luck on Friday against Santa Clara. That'll be a great one to watch. Paul Ratcliffe, what a job he's done with the Stanford Cardinal, the head women's soccer coach. Paul, thanks for being on the NSCA College Soccer Podcast, and good luck in the tournament. Thanks, Dean. I appreciate it. We thank Paul Ratcliffe and all of our guests, including our NJCAA Division Three champions from the men's side, Sean Worley from Richland College. On the women's side, Bill Rich from SUNY Broome Community College. Also appreciated spending time with Jeff Cummings from Thomas More at the D3 women's level. At the D2 women's level, how about Kevin Fickus from the Colorado School of Mines? And at the D1 level, in addition to Paul Ratcliffe, Tim Lenahan, Northwestern men's soccer coach, the RPI doctor, breaking down the men's field. And Kenny Lola, your number one seed from Louisville. Another big show for the NSCAA. I'm Dean Linke. Thanks for listening to the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.